Hello, this is Father Michael Eads from the Toronto Oratory, and you're listening to Lexio et Oratio, a short spiritual reading podcast followed by a reflection. The Imitation of Christ by Thomas of Kempis, Book 2, Chapter 12, Continued. If you carry your cross willingly, it will carry you and bring you to the goal for which you long. There, as you know, suffering will come to an end. But that won't be while you are still here. If you grudge carrying your cross, it becomes a burden that weighs you down all the more. Yet carry it you must. If you reject the cross, you will certainly find another. And this time, it may not be so light. Do you think you can escape something that never mortal man has been able to avoid? Think of the saints. Which of them spent his time in this world without the cross, without suffering? Why, even our Lord Jesus Christ was never for a single hour free from pain and suffering the whole of his lifetime. Was it not to be expected, he said? that the Christ should suffer these things and enter so into his glory? Then how can you look for any other road than this royal road, the road of the Holy Cross? The whole life of Christ was a cross and a martyrdom, and you go looking for rest and mirth. If you look for anything else but suffering to bear, you are right off the road because the whole of this mortal life is full of misery, marked with crosses in every direction. The higher a man rises in the ways of the spirit, the weightier will he often find his crosses becoming. That is because the more his love of God grows, the more painful he feels the state of exile from him. Such a man, however, afflicted as he is in so many ways, does not lack consolation to relieve him because he realizes how great profit he is acquiring by bearing his cross. But while he willingly surrenders himself to it, his whole burden of suffering is changed into confident hope that God will console him. The more the flesh is weakened by suffering, the more is the spirit strengthened by means of inward grace. It not seldom happens that a man is so strengthened by his desire for suffering and adversity, the effect of his love that would have followed the pattern of the cross of Christ, that he has no wish ever to be free from pain and suffering. This is because of his belief that the more affliction he has been able to bear for God's sake, the heavier to endure, the more pleasing he will be in God's sight. All this does not come from a man's own strength but from the grace of Christ, which can have so powerful an effect, working as it does in our weak human nature, so that what a man of his nature shrinks from and seeks to escape, he will go to meet and choose to love through the fire of the spirit that burns within him. Man by himself is not given to bearing crosses or loving them to chastening his body and making it his slave, to avoiding honors and willingly brooking insults, to thinking little of himself and hoping that others will do the same. 
Is it not his way to put up with all kinds of opposition and loss and not to desire any prosperity in this world? If you look only to yourself, all this kind of thing will be beyond your power. But if you put your trust in the Lord, you will be given strength from heaven, enabled to lord it over the world and the flesh. Even your enemy, the devil, will be powerless to make you afraid. If you wear the armor of faith and are signed with the cross of Christ. Set out then as a good and faithful servant of Christ to bear like a man the cross of your Lord, that cross to which he was nailed for love of you. Be prepared to endure much thwarting and many a difficulty in this life of sadness, because that's how things are going to be for you, wherever you are. That's how you're sure to find things, wherever you look for shelter from them. That's the way it's got to be. There's no cure, no getting round the fact of trouble and sorrow. You just have to put up with them. If you long to be the Lord's friend, to share what is his, you must drink his cup and like it. As for consolations, let God see about that. He will arrange about that kind of thing as he sees best. Your job must be ready to endure troubles and to reckon them the greatest of comforts. For what we suffer in this present life is nothing when we compare it with the glory to be won in the life to come, even though you alone were able to endure it all. When you have reached such a point that trouble is sweet to you, something to be relished for Christ's sake, you may reckon that all is well with you. You have found heaven on earth. But so long as suffering irks you, so long as you try to avoid it, things will go ill with you. Everywhere you will be pursued by the pain you try to escape. If you resolve, as you ought, to suffer and to die, things will go at once better with you and you will find peace. Even if, like St. Paul, you were to be caught up to the third heaven, there would be no guarantee of your suffering, no further affliction. I have yet to tell him, says Jesus how much suffering he will have to undergo for my name's sake. You have still to suffer then, if you wish to love Jesus and serve him forever. If only you were worthy to suffer in some way for the name of Jesus, what great glory you would have awaiting you, how all the saints of God would rejoice, and think how you would strengthen the spiritual life of your neighbor. All men agree in applauding patience in suffering. Few are willing to suffer. You ought gladly to suffer a little for Christ's sake. There are many who suffer far worse for worldly interests. Make no mistake about it. The life you are to lead must be one of death in life. The more a man dies to himself, the more he begins to live to God. No one is fit to grasp heavenly things unless he resigns himself to bearing affliction for Christ's sake. There is nothing more acceptable to God, nothing so conducive to your soul's health in this world, than willingly to suffer for Christ's sake. If you had the choice, 
you ought to choose rather to suffer affliction for Christ's sake than to be refreshed by much comfort. That would make you resemble Christ more nearly, make you follow more closely the pattern of all the saints. Our merit, you see, our progress in virtue doesn't consist of enjoying much heavenly sweetness and consolation. No, it lies in bearing heavy affliction and trouble. If there had been anything better for men, more profitable for their salvation than suffering, you may be sure that Christ, by his teaching and by his own example, would have pointed it out. But no, addressing the disciples who were following him and all those who wish to follow him, he clearly urges them to carry the cross when he says, if any man has a mind to come my way, let him renounce himself and take up his cross and follow me. So then, when we have made an end of reading and studying, this is the conclusion we should reach at last, that we cannot enter the kingdom of heaven without many trials. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Angels of God, our guardians, dear, to whom God's love commits us here, ever this day be at our side to light and guard, to rule and guide, amen. Most sacred heart of Jesus, teacher of teachers, have mercy on us. St. Philip Neri, gentle guide of youth, patron of thy own, vessel of the Holy Ghost, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. When St. Marie of the Incarnation was 20 years old, she found herself a widow. She had been persuaded by her parents to get married. And after two years of marriage, her husband died leaving her with a six-month-year-old son. And one day, the Lord enlightened her about all of her sins, all of her weaknesses, all of the ways she resisted his grace. And she began to live a life of great virtue. She pledged to the Lord she would never get married. And over the next 10 years, she gradually had to take over her brother-in-law's business and she called it her novitiate for Canada. You see, St. Maria the Incarnation was the, would eventually become the first nun ever to set foot in Canada, August the 1st, 1639. And when her son was 12 years old, before she had entered the convent, she heard our Lord tell her, this is where I want you to enter. It's the Ursuline convent. They're a teaching order. And she entered there, suffered incredible things because her son at first didn't understand, although he said he understood and he made great difficulty for her. And eventually she was sent by divine inspiration and the recognition of the church to Canada. And what happened there when she got here? Well, things were fine at first, but she began to suffer incredible revulsion to anyone who was good and holy and trying to help her. She felt incredible opposition to priests. She couldn't understand what was going on in her heart. Incredible trials. 
she felt great temptations to lust, to blasphemy, speaking against God. She suffered temptations to suicide. Many, many trials she faced. Until one day, Our Lady on her feast, the Assumption, delivered her from many of these interior trials after she had been purified. Now this woman is the Apostle of the Americas, the Pope has called her. John Paul II called her the spiritual mother of the new world. And just as every mother goes through many trials in giving birth, many painful things in conceiving, and many painful things in raising children. So this woman who was chosen to be the spiritual mother of the new world, who died today, April the 30th, 1672, she too went through many trials, just like the imitation of Christ says. Quoting our Lord, we cannot enter the kingdom of heaven without many trials. They may be of an interior sort. They may be of a physical sort. They may be of a psychological sort, but all of these are chances for us to grow in our union with Jesus. All of these are the ways that he walked so that we might learn the path that leads to heaven. In a fallen world, because of the consequences of sin, this is our opportunity to make up for sin, to learn all kinds of things we have to learn, to learn that God alone is what matters. Now, something very interesting has to be realized, though. How is it that we can suffer and eventually be happy in suffering? Does it mean that we won't feel the suffering? Well, it seems not. If it's suffering, it's precisely suffering because we don't like it. It doesn't, it goes against something in us. It causes pain. There's some part of us that does not want this. That's what it means to be in pain. It goes against our wills in some way. So how can we want this? Well, we don't want it as suffering. We don't want it as pain but we want it because of what it does. We want it because of how it leads to God. We want it because it leads us to Christ and through him to the Father. And how is this possible? Well, partly because we have a will, a higher part of our appetites, a spiritual power of love and choosing that looks at things from the perspective of faith in the Holy Spirit. And in that perspective, these things can be willed and chosen. But insofar as we have a lower nature, emotions, passions, sense appetite is called. We don't want these things. And that's why our Lord could even say in the Garden of Gethsemane, Father, if it's possible, take this cup from me, but not my will, but your will be done. In other words, his lower will his sense appetite, his passions, did not want to go through all that. He asked to be delivered from it. But with his higher will, his rational will, he joined his will to the will of God. Thy will be done. And it's in Christ and through Christ 
that we can walk the same path. It's only in him and only through him that we can do so. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.